to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 46. We are going through a sermon series on the life of Joseph. I'm so glad you're able to join with us this evening here at our Sunday evening worship service here at Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington. Joseph was someone whom God raised up, whom God led to Egypt with this great purpose that we're going to see how he's able to save his entire family, including his father, from the famine. They're two years in a seven-year famine, and God is going to reassure his father Jacob, Joseph's father Jacob, that it's okay to go down Egypt. So the biblical principle that God, I believe, has for you from this message and what the main point that we want to get from this is God reassures us when we go into the unknown. What is the unknown? Many times in our life, God calls us and asks us to step out into the unknown. What would that look like today? You're 2021. The unknown for us might be, in many cases, just our context of right now, going back out into the world. Maybe you are starting to get your, the vaccine, the shot from COVID. Maybe you're slowly going back out to school. You're going out uh, back to church. You, maybe you've been uh, cooped up in your house the past 10 months in quarantine, and you're slowly, more gradually, getting out and doing things. And there's Somewhat, you know, 400 plus thousand folks have passed away from COVID and you've known people. We've had at least one person here in our church family that has died of COVID. And it's something that you know is real and you don't want to put yourself in a compromising position. So you want God's reassurance when you're doing something like that. That's obviously the most obvious one today. What else would God's reassurance be? Maybe God is calling you to do something. It might be doing something such as sharing the gospel with someone you work with. You work with someone who's spiritually lost. They are not Christians. They're even proud that they're not Christians. They might even mock the Bible in the Lord. But you know God has put a burden on your heart. And you're concerned about their soul. And you have a passion to share the gospel with them. So when you go and speak up the Lord's name and share the good news with them, you need the reassurance that God is obviously with you and that he puts the words in your mouth what you need to say. What else would it be? Maybe for some of us, this would be a calling that God calls you to go on the mission field. Now, For some of us, that might be to say, I need to follow God's direction and go to another part of this world uh, with an unreached people group and begin learning their language, learning their context to share the gospel with them. For others, it might be your mission field might be right here in Lexington. There's huge community needs. There's people whom God has brought into our city from other countries. What is missions? Missions is cross-cultural evangelism. What I mean by that, if, in my case, if I live or work with folks, someone, or nearby, and they're Caucasians, 
They speak the same language. They have a similar background as me. They have the same skin color as me. And I'm sharing the Bible with them, sharing the gospel with them. That is what we call evangelism. All right? My next door neighbor might be someone from a different country. They might speak a different language. They have a radically different upbringing than a country boy from Alabama. Now, I'm sitting here talking to this person who's completely different than me. That is still evangelism, but the context is different. That is what we call missions. When you do missions, you're going outside of your uh, bubble, so to say, outside of people who are similar to you. There's going to be language barriers. There's huge background uh, barriers. We here in the South love football. When you go to South America and you say the word football, they're going to be picking up a soccer ball. They love what they call football down there. We love up here what we call football. Everybody loves just playing a ball with their feet. It's just a completely different game. That is a different context. So when you're doing missions in that context, you have to be sensitive and aware of what you're doing and how to share the gospel. The great news is the gospel, it penetrates and it changes any context. But how we share that and communicate it is what the Lord reassures us with. So the reassurance of us today, it might be with this COVID, it might be with doing evangelism, someone we work with, or it might be doing missions where we go on a, a mission trip or we go right here in our community to someone who's different than us and do missions. But you know, on a very more practical level, in many ways, what some of us are going through right now might be something as simple as our pocketbook. They always say, if you want to know what a man does... What a, a woman does, you look at their wallet or their pocketbook. The way people spend money shows what is valuable, what is important to them. If someone is squandering their money on gambling or alcohol, you know that's a problem. You know that's a priority in their life. A generous person, someone who loves the Lord, someone who has a generous spirit, that wants to see the advancement of the gospel, you will absolutely see that in how they give, in how they spend, in what, they're, they're, in what is most important in their wallet or their purse. So our reassurance today, when we see someone like Jacob, who's going down to Egypt, and God's going to reassure him, saying, it's going to be okay, Jacob. I know you're leaving the promised land. You're leaving the place that God called your grandfather Abraham, your father Isaac. And now you, here you live in Beersheba. You live in Israel, the nation of Israel. And now you're about to leave. And he's approaching death. You know, it's very challenging for someone in their senior adult season to all of a sudden leave and go to another country. Could you imagine, if you're retired right now, could you imagine moving to another country? This one country you've known your whole life, what you've supported and been so faithful towards, now you're having to be basically a refugee. Jacob is a refugee going to a foreign land 
because they have food. And his son, Joseph, is the prime minister. And they're going to a region there in the northeastern part called Goshen, which is near the um, Nile River where it goes into the uh, uh, Mediterranean Sea. And that is where God is going to leave the Israelites. Jacob's family is going to go there with 70 people in his family. It's just basically a large family reunion. His 12 sons... They're all going to be there. Joseph's already there, so he's bringing 11 sons with them. They're going there for their family reunion. And the, the, the strength and the power of this is God is going to do something in preparing for the exodus. They're going to be there for 400 years. And then soon, Moses is going to come up. So that's where we pick up in our Bible right now. This is a passage that I believe is going to speak to you This evening, it's going to be one that's maybe you need that same reassurance. Maybe the wind of change is blowing in your life. I believe this year, 2021, is going to be a year of growth. It's a year of change. Folks are coming out of a quarantine, coming out, coming with a new president. A lot of things are changing in Washington. Things are changing in health care. And now... Folks are going to have to start reaccustoming themselves to what life is going to be like. Verse 1, Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. That night God spoke to Israel in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he says, God is speaking to Jacob. He's going to reassure him. And Jacob replied, here I am. God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. You know, Jacob was fearful. He was traveling to a land that he was not accustomed to, and the Lord is going to do something there. The Lord has great plans for him there. The Lord is going to raise him up, and ultimately he will die there, yet Moses will leave the nation. It's amazing that Jacob brings 70 folks down to Egypt. 400 years later, that's roughly the age of our nation. 400 years later, they leave Egypt over a million and a half people. God multiplied the Israelites. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you back. Joseph, look at this, will close your eyes when you die. Meaning, you're going to Egypt and you're never going to come back. And he's there. He's at this place called Beersheba. He's about to leave Beersheba. It's kind of like the last stop into the wilderness of going in there. He's from, he lived in an area up there near Shechem, up north of Jerusalem. That's where, that's where Jacob's clan, would, his family would live. But they're, they're, they're headed out. They're going south. And it goes on to say there, The sons of Israel took their father Jacob in the wagons Pharaoh had sent to carry him, along with their dependents and their wives. They also took their cattle and their possessions they had acquired in the land of Canaan. They're bringing everything. Remember, Jacob had sent up Egyptian wagons and cattle, strong animals to bring his dad back. And that's what's happening. The very wagon that he sent up there is carrying his dad because his dad's so weak. He's not able to walk. So now he's riding in a wagon down 
to Egypt. And it says, They also took their cattle possessions they had acquired in the land of Canaan. Then Jacob and all his offspring with them came to Egypt, his sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, indeed all his offspring, he brought with him to Egypt. And I'm not going to go through all of these names. It says here in verse 8. I'm going to read verse 8, then I'm going to skip down and I'm going to pick up later on. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. Jacob and his sons. Now remember, Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was already in Egypt and with his children and his um, Egyptian wives. And what's powerful about this is we list all 11 of the other sons who are all traveling back down there. So now we're going to pick up here. Um, if you skip down to verse 27. And Joseph's sons who were born to him in Egypt, two people, all those of Joseph's or Jacob's household who came to Egypt, 70 people. 70 people are going to Egypt. Could you, and God is, I think what's powerful about this. Remember Abraham. God told Abraham, says, Abraham, I will bless your family. You see the stars in the sky? Your people will be more numerous than the scars in the sky. And right now, we're on Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who's been renamed Israel because he wrestled with God. Israel, the Jewish people, they are known because they wrestle with God. Wrestling with God means there's this struggle, whether they choose to worship the Lord or they worship the idols and the other things pull their attention away. We as faithful believers, we also have been grafted into Israel. This is what Romans chapter 9 teaches us. Because of Jesus Christ and our faith in Christ, we have also been grafted in with the promises that God has extended to Israel. And what that means for us, these same promises in the Old Testament apply to us. God has promised us that we will be blessed. We are blessed because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes from Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob, and comes through this lineage. And that's, that's how we know he comes through David in this lineage. It says here in verse 28, Now Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to prepare for his arrival. So, so Judah, who is really the most wise one, who Jesus came from, he went on ahead and he's preparing for, for dad to come. He went on ahead of him and Joseph, he's there at Goshen. So Joseph's there in, with Judah in Goshen waiting for their father to arrive. When they came to the land of Goshen, Joseph hitched the horses to his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. Joseph prepared himself to him, threw his arms around him, and wept for a long time. It had been 20 years since Joseph had seen his father. His father thought Joseph was dead. Remember, Joseph was his favorite. He was the son who received the coat of many colors. He was the son of his favorite wife, Rachel. God 
allowed this opportunity for a father and a son to be reunited. God is in the restoration business. Wouldn't it be sad if you haven't seen your family members for 20 plus years and you wondered what they thought, you wondered if they were alive, you wondered, I wonder what they're like now. I wonder if they think of me. I wonder what is going on with them. And they are weeping. Joseph's weeping when he meets his father. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm ready to die now because I've seen your face and you are still alive. He's now ready to die. God told him, he says, you're going to go to Egypt, but you'll never return. This will be the end for you. And a lot of times for us as believers, we do not pick how we come into the world and we do not pick how we leave this world. Many of us, will pass away under distressing circumstances. We will be alone. We will find ourselves in care facilities. We'll be in a, a hospital. We'll be in an ICU bed. We'll be in an accident. It will be a sudden heart attack. Something will happen. You know, we all picture this perfect ending in our life where we all live to be 100, 105 years old and God has just blessed us. We're in great health. And we just go to sleep one night with our family all around. We're smiling. And we wake up and we're in the presence of Jesus. And it's like it was our own timing. In our own place. And we picked our death. And we never see that in the Bible. Death is a consequence to sin. Adam and Eve died. And because they sinned, they were originally not going to die. The consequence and the sting of death continues on. Every time you go to a funeral, we are reminded that this is because this occurred because of sin, because of death. So now Israel is saying to Joseph, I'm ready to die. I am now, I'm in a place I don't want to be. I'm down here in Goshen. This isn't my home. This isn't the promised land. But because of the famine, this is where we have to be. And that's what happens. Remember with Peter? Peter was restored by Jesus. Peter had sinned against Jesus, denied him three times. And in that restoration there, at the end of the book of John, John chapter 21, we see a restoration. And what happens is Jesus tells Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, am I most important in life? Peter, do you really love me? And he's asking this question. He's restoring Peter who had sinned against him, who had denied him. And then he says, one day, Peter, you're going to have to do things. You're going to go to places. You're going to be led to places you don't want to go. And it's not that it's a bad place. It's just that you're not in charge. You have, you have someone else leading you. But even when someone else is leading you, even when you are in a predicament that's not your own choosing, the Lord reassures you. The Lord is with you. The Lord's hand is upon you, even while you are in Egypt. Even when you are amidst a place... You did not choose to be. Verse 31, Joseph said to his brothers and his father's family, I will go up and inform Pharaoh, telling him, 
My brothers and my father's family who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They also raise livestock. They have brought their flocks and herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh addresses you and asks, What is your occupation? You say, Your servants, both we and our ancestors, have raised livestock from our youth until now. Then you will be allowed to settle in the land of Goshen, since all shepherds are detestable to Egyptians. What Joseph is doing is very wise. A shepherd is someone who would watch sheep and raise livestock. The Egyptians would view people like that would be slaves. People who would not be of importance. Those that would, um, that would work for Egyptians. So what Joseph is doing is he's going to make sure that his family stays in this area called Goshen. Just kind of away out of, the, out of Pharaoh's eye. Because Pharaoh's going to get word that you're here. So we have to come up with a plan to make sure that you're just kind of left alone and that all these years you can be here for these next five years and then you can go back. Just Pharaoh will leave you alone if you say this. So what you're going to do, family, is when Pharaoh talks to you and he says, what occupation are you? Say, we're just shepherds. We raise livestock. We just want to stay here till the famine's over for five years, and then we'll go back. Well, they are probably thinking, Joseph's probably thinking, this is going to be a five-year tour. And Israel, he knows, Daddy, he's not, he doesn't have five years to live, so he's going to die. He'll, his bones will probably be there a couple of three years, and then he'll be taken back to the land of Canaan. The long-term plan... These people came to Israel thinking, we're not going to be here longer than five years. When COVID started, you're probably thinking, this isn't going to last but a week or two. We'll just go through this, we'll stay safe, the disease will go away, and then we'll keep on, you know, getting back to our lifestyle. Here we are ten months later. Everything has changed. A lot of times... Something that we think will take a short amount of time ends up taking a lot longer than expected. And many times you plan out, you, you have your sights for something, you think this would just take a year or two, and it, it's a lot longer than that. And I believe that's what's going on here. Joseph has convinced his family with Israel, look, we're just going to be shepherds. The Pharaoh will let us stay here a few years, and then we'll go back home. 400 years later, they are still in Goshen. You know, once you get settled somewhere, once you move somewhere, once you start making something home, and it seems like, hey, this can work. I can see this new place is home. You start adapting, and you start to think of yourself, this is my house. It's kind of like when, um, when you're expecting a baby, what do you start doing? You start thinking of your house, your home, is what, what we need. I remember when uh, we used to have a car that um, it was a Mitsubishi Galant. And we, we had a Mitsubishi Galant and a Toyota Camry. And those cars, if you don't count the middle seat and the back seat, they would seat four, uh, four people. Now, you could fit, you know, in the middle seat, they had a seat belt, but it was very small. Well, we had four people in our house. Sherry and I, 
and Daniel and Elizabeth. When Sherry was expecting Benjamin, baby number five, she knew, okay, Daniel and Elizabeth are in these car seats here in the car. There's not enough room in the middle section here in either of our cars for a third car seat. So when you know, we were, uh, gosh, about to have a baby, and what do we have to do? She wants to go buy a car. And you know how it goes. When someone makes a decision to do something, next thing you know, I'm in Atlanta or in Duluth at a car lot, and we're buying a car that seats six people. Just like that. You know, the baby's coming. We don't have enough car seats. We've got to get a new vehicle. And that's the type of attitude we see here. You know, once you get settled, once the decision's been made, you're going to do something. A lot of folks, they just go and go and do it. So you get in Goshen, you discover and declare, this is my new home. I will be there. So that's what's happening here with Joseph. He's, he's telling his family, guys, this is a five-year commitment. Here's what you say. You'll be allowed to stay here. The, uh, I have been very valuable. I have been able to solve problems for Egypt. Joseph's a problem solver. And the problem was, they're going to have a great famine. If you so solve other people's problems, you have great value in their life. And Joseph, even though he's a Hebrew, even though he's a Can from the land of Canaan, he's tremendously been a blessing to Pharaoh in all of Egypt, and including the entire world. So by by friendship, they'll say, since you've helped us, you just bring your little 70 folks. Y'all just stay here and raise your animals. They were not viewed as a threat. That's what Egypt, uh, Egypt was, uh, Pharaoh was really concerned about. He wanted to make sure these 70 folks, these aren't spies. These aren't some type of military leaders. These are just poor farmers. This looked like the Beverly Hillbillies coming down, down to the land of Goshen. And here they are just going to, they're going to raise their animals because there's no, there's no food or grain in Canaan. With that, I want you to flip over in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. Now, this is the last scripture I want us to read tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and here's why. We need to commend Jacob because the Bible actually tells us when you are the head of your household, when you have responsibilities for others, God holds you accountable to make sure they're taken care of. And I think we see that here in 1 Timothy 5.8. The Bible says, If anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We as believers, we are called to provide for our family. If a man does not work, he should not, shall not eat. If you are able to work, God expects us to work. God worked for six days in creation and rested the seventh day. We have a responsibility also to work. God put that in our hearts. We provide for our family. We help our family. When someone refuses to work, the Bible says they are actually worse off. It's like they're essentially denying the faith. They're saying, that's not for me. I want someone else to take care of me. Do you know who takes care of us? God takes care of us. God has given us the ability to do skills, the ability to work, and the Lord provides for us. The Lord provides for our church. The Lord provides for me, for you and your family, so that we do not starve. 
And this is an example. Jacob, son, Jacob's son, Joseph, is now providing for his family. Jo Jacob might not have seen what was going on until all of a sudden at the, his eyes were open and the Lord reassured him and says, hey, it's okay for you to go down there. God has allowed your son that you thought was dead to be the prime minister of Egypt so that he could save all the people, including your family. And I think the biblical principle for us is we don't want to allow laziness. We don't want to allow our poor work ethic to be a hindrance of denying our faith. God wants us to use our hands, to use our minds, use our feet, to use our abilities to do kingdom work. There's work to be done, and the Lord expects us to do that. I think what we see in this passage, God is reassuring you tonight. If you are here with anxiety, uncertainty, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, do not be anxious. If he provides for the sparrows, if he provides for the birds, he will provide for you. And I think when you are maybe taking that step out in faith, the faith of finances, the faith of sharing the gospel, or maybe being more of a witness at work, or maybe just beginning to pray for your family, or maybe making another, a deeper commitment to your church, the Lord provides. Do you need the Lord to reassure you? Do you need God's reassurance in your life this new year? Do you need the Lord to say, I've been hearing your prayer. I know what your desires are. The Bible says in Psalm 34 verse 7, the Lord knows the desires of your heart. He knows what you want. He knows you, your needs. And we have a great God. We trust in a great Lord. He certainly meets and exceeds those needs. I want to take this opportunity to pray for you. I thank you for your faithfulness, for being in God's Word. I want to have a prayer of reassurance that no matter what you are going through, the Lord will bring you through it. I want you to hold your hand out towards the TV. Hold your hand out towards the computer. Put your hand in the air. Dear Jesus, I pray for those that need reassurance. Lord, they raise their hands. Their hands are lifted high and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I trust you. God, I'm yours. Lord, I thank you for saving us. Thank you for leading me. Thank you for putting people in my path who need to hear the gospel. Lord, I pray from this day on, I will live for you. Jesus, we thank you for this message. Seal it upon our hearts this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'm so glad you're able to tune in. So glad you're able to listen to this podcast. We are here every Sunday night at 6 p.m. We also upload these podcasts or these videos on our, our, our Apple iTunes and uh, wherever you get your podcast from, you can certainly listen to them there as well. God bless you. I will see you next Sunday as we continue on studying the life of Joseph.